Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I am your host this week, Father David Mowry, chaplain to the Movies by Minutes community. And I am thrilled to be joined as my guest today, the queen of the Movies by Minutes community and the host of the Fifth Element podcast, Crystal Beth. Crystal, welcome to the show. Hello. I am I'm really excited to be recording with you. I don't know why this is something I didn't think was ever going to happen, but I'm really <laughs> glad it is. <laughs> That that has been a constant refrain I have heard from so many people. Like, when are you going to do your own show? When are you going to do your own show? And I always tell people I need to be doing at least three fewer things in my yes. life in order to well, do one of these You're podcasts. literally taking care of the souls of the people in your parent. Like that's – I can't think of another a better way to spend your time, honestly. And the movies by Minute Souls. Well, and, I mean those souls, they need a lot of work, let me tell you. They oh, do. <laughs> Well, uh, Crystal, how are you? I'm good. I'm surviving. Surviving Uh, is good. Watching movies. And, and, And we're watching the best years of our lives. And we were talking in the green room before we started. This is the first black and white movie that you're you're doing a movies by minutes for. Yes, and I wow. preface that by saying Clerks doesn't count because it, we said it was black and white on purpose. But it's my first very older movie. Mm hmm. Do you watch a lot of classic movies or do you tend to just watch only everything that was made in color? I went to school for film, so I had oh. to watch a lot of old movies and I enjoy them. The issue is, is that they're very slow now compared to what movies are now. Well, I so, think this movie, uh, The Best Years of Our Lives, zips along at its two hours and 50 minute runtime. It's the very zippiest. They make a <laughs> lot, they have a lot of use with, they utilize silence very well with the actors and then mm-hmm. destroy it with their music. <laughs> but I know that it was the times, mm-hmm. but a lot of like serious parts, the music was making me chuckle. <laughs> Which is good. It was like an endearing chuckle. We need to clearly communicate the emotion of this scene <laughs> so you know exactly how to feel. Specifically when when Al got into the shower with his pajamas on and didn't realize for a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I was oh, like, that I, Al. Yep. And I laughed and I had to stop and replay it again for John. I was like, this is the best. <laughs> Look, in 1946, they knew their audience, and they knew the audience needed just a little bit of help. Cinematic language was not something everyone was completely uh, fluent in. Films were new. (laughs) Talkies were. Now, how how old are talkies come 1946? 20 years? I think it was the 20s? Mm -hmm. Uh, 27! Boom! Oh, look at that. So 20 okay. years. I did go to film school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot happened in those 20 years. So oh, maybe the, the novelty wore off quickly on the talkie. So yeah, probably by 1946, mm. they were like, okay, no, we're we're used to the, the talking on, on the movie film. I mean, well, if you think about it, did you ever see Volcano, the one that took place in L.A.? You know, it's on my list. Haven't gotten to it yet. Not so into the disaster movies. Uh, yeah, these oh, days. I heard that. Uh, <laughs> but that came out. About 20 years ago, I'd say probably a little bit more, but I remember thinking that the special effects were so phenomenal and I watched it maybe like six years ago and I was like, this is bad. 
Okay, so. now, I, I got to be honest. When you say it came out 20 years ago, my mind went back to, okay, so in 1990, what was going on? But then I realized, wait, no, 20 no. years ago is is later than that. Oh, no. Yeah, I think it came out in 97. Okay. Or something. Okay. But it's that 20 years difference. Mm-hmm. They think they're doing so good with their great music, but really you're like, okay, relax. We can sit in <laughs> silence for a minute. Yeah, you, you wonder how uh, the Hans Zimmer blah is going to age in 20 years. It's not. <laughs> I don't know if it's aged in, in oh, we know, the time it will. it's taking me so <laughs> It'll age a lot. It's going to be... Oh, that reminds me. I'm sorry I keep getting off topic from this movie, but I rewatched Ocean's Eleven. Ooh. And the music and the editing in that is so dated. There's a lot of needle drops, isn't there? Yeah, and it's like the like synthesized, like slow motion, jerk, like almost. It looks almost like the '90s, but mm. I mean, it was close to the '90s. I think it was 2001, maybe. But I was like, this that was is still almost... the '90s. Was it the '90s? <laughs> well, I mean, 2001 oh, right, okay. was still the '90s. It was like I don't know <laughs> what year it is. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> things age, and so do I. <laughs> Well, don't age too quickly because we, we have a minute to talk about here. We're talking about minute 59 of the best years of our lives. Minute 59 it begins with Peggy saying, we're very glad to have you here, and ends with Fred asking if we includes her husband. Ouch. At the beginning here, and of course, Peggy is, as we've seen this week, being so nice to this man that she barely knows and is serving up a heaping helping of those eggs. And as I was watching this minute, I had to think, how many takes did they do of this scene? Because the <laughs> eggs look fresh in that pan. Well, that's because they're made without all the like GMOs and stuff. Because oh. it's not the not the future. I guess it's real eggs. Real eggs made with uh, real butter mm. and probably whole milk. I love whole milk. I oh, never yeah. buy it. <laughs> I can't stand it. It's just it's a it's a texture thing. It just it coats my throat going all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's a horrible visual. <laughs> and as Peggy is is serving those eggs, she is being polite about it, but she is heavily implying that Fred was totally wasted yeah. last night. Not even in a, a state in order to get a hotel. Yeah, that's impressive. Impressive that they were even able to get him to their place after that night at Butch's. And now they're eating breakfast. Eating breakfast and trying to reconstruct memories. Fred clearly remembers nothing. <laughs> what happens last night? Did I get out of line? I would love to wonder. Like, I wonder what is. I would love to wonder. I'm going to wonder. <laughs> what's going on in his head? So he has no idea where he is. He just woke mm -hmm. up. He's sitting nicely at breakfast, and there's this woman there. I He's very cool and collected. Yeah, he handles the situation so much better than I would. Yeah. I don't know about you, but if I woke up in a strange house with a woman being very familiar with me, I would be asking all of these, like, subtle questions to try to figure out who she is rather than having just a normal conversation. Well, first thing I would do is check to make sure I had both of my kidneys. Yeah, I know that too. <laughs> uh, last week, Susan from Rosemary's Baby 666 was on, and we were talking about uh, how often horror movies take place within bedrooms. And so she was delighted to talk about uh, Fred waking up in a strange bedroom and was calling attention to just what you're saying. 
Peggy sticks her head in the door and doesn't give her name to Fred when he first wakes up. And says, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Don't worry about it. I'll tell you later. And she leaves. Well, that, I mean, okay, so if you're seeing it from her point of view, now she had this night with this person that was so wasted she had to take home. And so she knows everything. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want to have that much power. Oh, interesting. It would, you would be uncomfortable in trying to talk this person through what exactly happened. Well, look, we took you to your wife's apartment, and it was totally locked, and then we brought you back here, and, well, you got a little handsy when I was putting you into my bed. And Oh, I would know. abuse the power. Oh, abuse it. Oh, oh I see. Not, yeah. not from awkward, but because you know you would use it for evil. Right. I would have worn, like, uh... a really impressive suit and carried a clipboard and wore sunglasses inside. With huge shoulders. Yeah, right? and kept, mm-hmm. like, taking measurements on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff like what like as he went to take a sip i'd raise my eyebrows and lean forward a little bit really you know just <laughs> freak just, him out and just have a little notepad on the table just need to look down every so mm-hmm. often like, oh, okay keep glancing to the right what, what do you keep writing down oh nothing i knew you'd say that <laughs> subject is total moron right dumb dumb head <laughs> one thing i'll always enjoy about old movies though is I don't know if this was ever a real thing because my grandparents never did it. So I just assume mm-hmm. no one ever did it. Having like eight slices of toast <laughs> on a plate. That's part of a complete breakfast, Crystal. Oh my gosh. I just noticed the continuity error. The very beginning of the scene, it's uh, so up until second 16, mm-hmm. there's maybe one slice of toast, if that, on the table. And when you get to second 19, 19, when they cut to him grabbing the toast, there's toast. There wasn't before. (laughs) It's teleporting toast. Oh, man. I love continuity errors. (laughs) I also love actors eating cold toast. Well, that's what is so impressive to me. Fred is actually eating in this scene. And mm-hmm. that requires so much continuity from shot to shot, which they do a great job with. At the end of one shot, he's lifting the corner of toast to his mouth, and then they have a reverse shot, and you can see him putting the toast in his mouth from behind the shoulder. So obviously, they were eating through the eggs and the toast, which is why I was asking about the fresh eggs in the pan. Were those freshly made just for that take, or did they actually get it the first time around because of how Peggy is serving them from the pan? Because these eggs and the coffee is at least being touched and handled. So I wonder, if you look at the eggs being served, they're kind of runny. Mm -hmm. And some people like their scrambled eggs like that. But in black and white movies, the foods weren't necessarily used in black and white because they don't always portray the same color. Mm. So those could not be eggs that they're eating. So what edible substitute would you have instead? Play-Doh. That's edible, right? I mean, I'm sure they're uh, eggs, but I'm like, they could be anything. I uh, just wanted to inform all the kindergartners who are listening. Play-Doh is not edible. No, no, Johnny, put that down. Nope. But glue's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel bad that I called out the continuity because the rest of it is pretty good (laughs) sorry script supervisor from 1946 hey you know every movie is going to have some 
What's impressive to me is the, you know, you mentioned that the eggs may not actually be eggs. I don't know if this toast is actually toast. Look at the way it's broken. It looks like pure styrofoam to me. Oh, it does. Oh my God, he's eating styrofoam. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it looks it looks like foam that he's breaking. I mean, the color, at least on the black and white, is perfect. It looks like it was done to a complete golden brown. But as he breaks it, it is stiff as a board and looks completely dry on the inside. It must have been sitting out on set. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably sitting there for a while. Maybe she's just bad at toast. <laughs> How do you cook toast? I don't understand. I keep putting the bread in the oven and it comes out still bread. Right? It's I put it in the sink. <laughs> Turn the water on. It's not working. Also, the eggs were toast as well. Oh, that's what they made the egg of. They took the toast from previous shots and just mushed it all up and ran some water through it to make, you know, something that looked like eggs. They had a budget. <laughs> William Wyler was going to bring this movie in under budget. That means we reuse the bread from shot to shot. Darn it. Ugh. Good enough for Susan Kane. It's good enough for this movie. It's also the dirt from war. <laughs> These poor actors. Oh, boy. I was I, I I'm watching Peggy drink from her coffee cup and mm-hmm. knowing there's actually liquid in the cup makes her acting skills a little less impressive because of course the hardest thing for any actor to do is drink from an empty cup. Oh, it's so hard. It, it's so, it, you can't make it look good for because of the the physics are so subtle when you actually have liquid in the cup and the way you mm-hmm. treat it and everyone knows what it looks like. You have everyone has seen that happen throughout their life and so every time in a movie, oh no, that cup's empty. No, there's no copy in that mm-hmm. cup. Oh, no, that's an empty paper cup. Mm-mm. And the weight of it in your hand too is mm-hmm. a completely different not not in this case, but if they had like a paper cup or something. Just put water in it. My my experience with that when I was a uh in theater in high school in uh, a production of 10 Little Indians and so you've got everyone walking around with their cocktails at the beginning and we would mock that up with iced tea. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you, I uh, I didn't drink caffeine when I was in high school because I was a high-energy person as it was. Oh, so man. by the end of, of uh, the show, oh, boy, was I wired for sound. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so you, you got to think that if this is real coffee, <laughs> Teresa and Anna might, might be a little jittery by the end. Which character were you in the show? I was General McKenzie. Oh, okay. So I I played the old general who had uh, killed his wife's lover by sending him to the front lines. What was interesting uh, for Wait, whatever how reason... Wait, when was this? In what grade? I was a junior in high school. So I got the full uh, old man treatment. My hair got spray painted white. Uh, <laughs> I had a goatee and... I refused to shave it off for some reason. You know how long it took you to grow that? Exactly. Well, I was in high school. I was dumb. So they spray painted that white as well. And I had all the old man wrinkles in my eyes and all across my face. And I got to walk around with a cane and uh, say things like preposterous, which was great. Uh, The the problem was our, our high school director, for whatever reason, decided to set this particular production of Ten Little Indians in the late 80s. Oh. And in America. Okay. Yeah, so my plotline then suddenly revolved around the Vietnam War instead of World War II. Or Wait, even does World Ten Little War Indians I. take place 20 years after? I think it's set in the interwar period. Oh. 
Okay, so I'm not your theater teacher, but that doesn't work. <laughs> well, and yeah, we had to add lines to explain why cell phones didn't work. It may have even been like set in the mid-90s or something. It was strange. So like the Iraq War. Uh, no, because, oh, no, I had, because I had to be to retired be... by that point. I had to be old. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, I don't need to poke holes in your childhood. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no. I I had to develop this whole backstory for the character to make sense of, okay, so he's a general, but he's retired, but there hasn't been, like, a war in a while. Okay, how do we make this work? Um, so it uh, it was a war lot of fun. The, <laughs> the characterization was a lot of fun, and uh, drinking the iced tea was an eye-opening experience. But there and was. Now you're hooked. You're addicted to the cash. <laughs> caffeine, fiend. I just need it all the time. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I always tell people in the parish. No, you don't want to see me on caffeine. I, I, I'm high energy as, as it is. You and... wouldn't like me when I was caffeinated. <laughs> I'd be vibrating right through the walls. Uh, that sounds very phenomenal and like like a miracle. So, oh yeah, it, it's great until you start sinking towards the center of the earth because of the gravitational <laughs> pull. Uh, Let me tell you, it's an awkward discussion with uh, the gas line company when they got to dig out of the natural gas line. It was uh, it was not a great day. (laughs) I love these teacups. It's a whole gorgeous breakfast set. Such a good set. And if we were watching this in color, what color to the of pattern do you think it is? Well, if I'm going off of how I guess saturated the gray is, I would guess like a dark green dark blue or maybe not dark but like a greener blue mm-hmm. um the definitely the leaves are green or maybe like a a deep peach purpley Ooh, interesting because i look at when a, a white porcelain set like that and let the first color that jumps in my mind is blue but that's mostly because white and blue porcelain is my mother's favorite and so there are several pieces around my parents house she has good taste. She has excellent taste. In particular, a big Chinese garden stool that's been in our living room forever. It's beautiful white porcelain painted blue on the outside in these great oriental patterns. Wow. And every time I see porcelain like this, I'm always a little disappointed that it's not blue. It's the wrong yeah. color. No, it's not so, as good as it could be. That's so interesting because blue and white porcelain is a very specific type. And specifically for tea sets, um, you're going for that, um, you know, Chinese, Japanese sort of look. But for the majority of tea sets, they're brightly colored florals. And I only know this because mm. I'm literally obsessed with tea sets and I look at them online all the time. To get a blue and white tea set, to mm. find one online, is not the norm. Interesting. Which is maybe why I don't see it. But it's funny how your life experience maps i'm also curious what color glass do you think that pan is oh it's like a a dusky brown that's what i'm thinking yeah it's kind of a clouded glass Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh i was we were talking about her uh, becky's breakfast technique yesterday and how she's just beaten the hell out of those eggs (laughs) in that glass frying pan Which is Ugh. just not, not going to get hot enough to fry an egg, but maybe it's good for scrambling eggs. Yeah, but they're still wet, so you're right. Mm, yeah. And they're probably cold. Well, you know, she didn't know. <laughs> she didn't know when Fred would be getting up, so she just had them sitting in the pan all morning. And then, like, okay, well, it's 
gosh, and it's almost time for Rob to go to school, so maybe I should actually start cooking these and hope he wakes up soon. <laughs> I think my favorite thing in the world is that we just mapped a woman of our time onto that, thinking that <laughs> she was like, well, I need to make these eggs now, and I don't care. Whereas <laughs> if we were in 1946, she heard the wakenings of a man and was like, what would you love for breakfast? How would you like me to prepare it? I have no wants or needs. <laughs> well, you know, I think she was making it for Rob, now that I think about it. Because uh, we see Peggy go in to her room to get clothes for the day. And she's doing her best not to wake Fred up, trying to make sure he gets as much sleep as possible. She went in his room. Well, she went into her room. I know, but he was there. That, well, but, you know, she needed fresh underwear. Okay, true. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's always that awkward moment, right, when you have company over and you realize, oh, no, I left my pants in the room where Aunt, Bob, Aunt Sally and Uncle Bob are sleeping. Oh, no, what do I do? That's true. And she, she handled that with as much grace as one could expect. Yeah, she tiptoed. And he was like, who is that hot lady? <laughs> Uh, and she and she's heading to a, a lot of graceful things in this conversation because Fred is completely clueless, and she's talking about, well, you know, you were you were pretty plastered last night. I'm not as bad as my dad. And Fred says, "Dad," as if the concept that this woman has a father is a new thought to him that had not occurred before. <laughs> And Fred does not remember Al, but it, you know, I think in the end that's okay. Maybe he does because he knows that Al is old enough to be Peggy's father. Yeah, I don't know if that would be the first place I'd go though. I don't know if that would if like I was I was like Al, I'd be like Al, Al, Al. Okay, who do I know who's named is Al? As opposed to like, oh, the sergeant. I don't know if my mind would go there immediately. But if I may, if this was filmed now. Hmm. I wonder if when she was like, my dad, Al, if his first thought would be like, what did I do with you and Al? Because she's being so like personable and sweet. Oh, gosh. But it wasn't. It was made in 1946. Thank God. Yeah, he is able to piece together Al's identity and take that all in stride. He, (laughs) I love good old Al as if they've been buds for years. And that was before, good old Al is before he realizes that's Al. And then it clicks. And he's like, Al, uh, your father. She's like, well done, Padawan. <laughs> We'd like to welcome Fred's brain to the conversation. <laughs> and he's he's being you know, polite, making small talk, asking after, after uh, where Al is and... Then makes makes the brilliant deduction, wait, you're Al's daughter. <laughs> there we have it for the full arrival of Fred's thinking faculties as he's piecing this grand mystery all together. Wait, your dad, that means he's your father. This poor guy. <laughs> he's doing his best. I mean He woke up in a strange bed. Come over. Oh man, I do not envy him. Oof boy. That is, mm, man, I do not like overindulging. <laughs> the next day I'm like, oh, God, what did I say? Who did I text? Where are my pants? Well, there's a look on Fred's face earlier on where uh, 
Fred realized that he's already told this girl he doesn't know a lot. What What's the exact line? She's getting she's putting the pan back over on the stove mm-hmm. and there's this this look of f- realization on fred's face that oh wait a minute i there's been a whole conversation mm-hmm. that i was part of that i have no recollection <laughs> of <laughs> oh god that's so uncomfortable <laughs> poor guy i mean it's a good thing that peggy is so nice and accommodating well women were supposed to be <laughs> it's not because she's nice that's she would be hit in the face if she wasn't. Well, she's, as we'll see with Millie tomorrow, I think Peggy is, she, she's she got a little thing for Fred. Oh, yeah. Well, she is a woman of the future, I gotta say. Oh, and what, do, <laughs> what makes you say that? Well, I mean, I don't know. I didn't grow up in the 40s, but... What? But that's I, why I asked you on. I know, oh, crazy. You're embarrassing me. There's... <laughs> I'm. So, I apologize to you and everyone else. Uh, but one of the one of her quotes is, "I know what I have to do. I have to break up that marriage with Fred and oh gosh, what's her name? Not Peggy, blonde Marie. Guy. Marie. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, granted." didn't grow up then but i don't think that that was something that you would usually say to your mother and father in regards to someone that your father served with Mm. and i think she just said it to her mother but when you tell your mom something your dad's gonna find out well uh of course according to movies by minutes covenant i cannot talk about those upcoming minutes but uh (laughs) certainly Certainly, the, the social dynamics. Spoiler alert! The social dynamics in this situation are already outside of anything that you or I are familiar with. It it is unimaginable that in in the contemporary era, you would welcome a complete stranger who your your dad barely knows into your home. I mean, that could be anybody, and. You know, as uh, we heard a couple weeks ago, Fred got got a little fresh with Peggy as she was getting him ready for bed. Mm-hmm. Thank God it was nothing worse than that. Uh, and at least Fred has the decency to ask if he's gotten out of line. And I think that says a lot to Fred's character in mm-hmm. this scene, that he's at least willing to be called out on something. And he's he's willing to give Peggy an opening to talk about that if he got out of line in any way. But Peggy is so accommodating and smiley. No, no, nothing like that when he absolutely did. <laughs> she reminds me of um, Marty McFly's mom before he realizes it's her mom. Yeah. Or before he realizes it's his mom. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a whole uh, kind of nurse-patient dynamic. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, makes sense because Peggy works at the hospital, as as we find out. And there's a lot of that bedside manner that carries through into this breakfast conversation. Yeah, they do a good and job. They do. They do an excellent job. It's it's the believability of these characters that impresses me. And, you know, these two people are very are doing the social dance. They're politely navigating this this very unique social situation, which is much 1940s grace as they can muster. And uh, Fred decides that it's time to ask that question. Are you married? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. 
as a priest, that is not usually something I have to worry about asking anybody because I'm very taken. But so is Fred. Fred is also, he is married and he wants to go and see his wife. So I don't, it was, was this a common piece of small talk? So I saw it as he was wondering if he did something wrong and then was making small talk mm-hmm. with it. And he he hadn't mentioned he was married yet, right? He does it at the end of the minute. He will talk about it tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so he hasn't mentioned it yet either. And I feel like it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, well, let me... I can get that guilt off my chest if you're not. But I think the fact that he doesn't, I mean, based off of his acting, doesn't seem like he feels too bad. And. Well, she's given him permission not to feel guilty. Yeah. Because he doesn't remember anything. He, he, he has no memories to feel guilty about. Right. But so if I woke up at another man's house. And he was making me breakfast and being really sweet. Mm. I would be like, oh, uh, who are you? How am I going to figure out who you are without being rude? Mm-hmm. Figure out who they are and then be like, ha, ah, I'm glad I wasn't fresh. Are you married? Am I home wrecking? <laughs> am I ruining a relationship? Was I the other woman? And Will then... a man with a gun come through that door in mere moments? Exactly. So... I mean, that would be my immediate reaction if I was him. Mm-hmm. I and well, feel and to like be frank, he's... and if Fred was a woman, but since Fred is a man in 1940s, the woman being nice to him and making him breakfast probably doesn't ping his radar. Oh, this is a really hard minute because it <laughs> is decades behind me. <laughs> <laughs> this is almost a hundred years old. <laughs> Give or take. Yeah. Uh, the math is left as an exercise. <laughs> well, I, I think it, it goes back to Fred asking that question. You know, did I get out of line? Uh, the very decent stand-up thing to do. Yeah. And uh, he, I think he is aware of how strange the situation is. Uh, we saw earlier this week his chance encounter with the bundle of energy that is Rob, who was bustling in order to get uh, out to school on time, gave him all the information he needed. Oh, yeah, Peggy's in there waiting for you. I got to go. Bye. And he's he's gone. And Fred's <laughs> left standing there with his mouth slightly agape. Like, what just happened? But that's where he was able to pick up the name, which is uh, just a tremendous skill that you need to learn. How do you suck names out of the conversation where you're at a cocktail party mm-hmm. or you're at someone's house and you're just – you're trying not to admit that you don't know somebody's name you're just waiting for someone anyone to say this person's name i imagine that happens to you more than anyone else that i know well the problem is everyone knows me Mm -hmm. and everyone comes up hey father how are you hey you good good to see you again (sighs) tell me how is your life (laughs) give me a hint and and I'm I'm not great with names. I do well with faces. I I know when I have seen someone before, mm-hmm. but that makes it worse because I can recognize their face. Like I know this person. What is her name? Ugh. You want to know something funny? What's that? Is every single person on this planet, or maybe not every single person, but the good people, they beat themselves up when someone doesn't when you when you don't remember another person's name. 
But can you ever remember a time where you were pissed at someone who didn't remember your name? Never. Never. I have never been upset. And if someone's like, I'm sorry, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, it's really fine. I'm Crystal. Uh, we had had a conversation at up until that point, so I didn't feel like I was forgotten. But it's so funny how we get in our own heads about how hard it is to remember people's names. And no one really gets that mad. Then again, you're everyone's father. So it's like a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they want to be seen and known, and oh, it, it's tough because you know you're at a parish for a year and you see the same faces mm-hmm. at the daily mass, and you know maybe two of them by the end of that year. Uh, I remember when I was in college, there was a guy at the seminary I went to, and for months he called me Brian. <laughs> Every time he saw me, he said, hey, Brian. Hi, John. And that this went back and forth until I just couldn't take it anymore. And I pulled him aside. I was like, John, I'm, I'm really sorry. My name isn't Brian. My name is David. And his face turned every color of the Aww. rainbow. He was so oh embarrassed. Because this is one of those uh, tall, lanky uh, farmer kids mm. from rural Minnesota. So just the salt of the earth, wouldn't hurt a fly kind of guys, and was completely well-intentioned the whole time, which is why I let it go for months. You're like, I'm Brian. <laughs> yes, that is. Yes, hello, I am Brian. That is that is the best solution here. I'm just I'm just going to change my name, John. You know mm. what? I don't want you to be wrong, because that, that would be worse than, than me correcting you. Oh, so... <laughs> Kind of the same, but not the same. There are a lot of people, or not a lot, but there's a few people in the Movies by Minutes community that think my name is Beth. And I think they think Crystal's like an adjective I picked to put before Beth, which is (laughs) fine, whatever. But they'll call me Beth, and I will 100% respond, and I won't correct them. Mm -hmm. And then if they send me emails... They'll be like, hey, Beth, wondering if I can get you on this, this, this. And I'll be like, mm-hmm. sure, I'm available these days. Cheers, Crystal. <laughs> Crystal. In and, all caps and bold. And it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't work. And I was like, you know what? I will be Beth to these people. <laughs> like, you're you're kind of a Brian now. <laughs> Isn't there a little Brian? There's a little Brian in all of us. There's a little Brian and a little Beth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it. It's, I think to, to a lot of people, I'm just father. They don't know any other name for me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I will joke with you like, well, what, what should I call you? Like, oh, call me by my first name. Call me father. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, you Your all... father, father. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, uh, names are the worst. We oh, just and... be sounds. <laughs> Well, that's what names are. They're, they're significant sounds that aren't me. words, except that they are words. Oh, my brain's starting to hurt. So maybe we should wrap things up here in this minute. Maybe we'll find out the the, the sound that Peggy uses for her husband. Maybe there is a husband. Maybe there isn't. We'll have to see tomorrow. Uh, and as we wrap up this minute, Crystal, something I have been asking all of my guests Uh, Since this is a film about veterans coming home from war, is there anyone in your family or anyone that you know personally who served in the military? My grandpa was in the Navy. He was a master chief and loved it. 
was very militant. He and I mm. did not get along until <laughs> he got Alzheimer's and dementia. And mm. then he thought my name was Rose and kept trying to kiss me. So there was a very special lady named Rose in his life. Apparently, because he was calling my grandma Rose, too. But none of us know who this person is. Oh, mysteries. This, right? This is the beginning of a Hallmark movie, Crystal. Um, but he looked very handsome in his uniform. And Aww. he would. He was also... Um, he had a doctorate in philosophy. And Did he? Interesting. Was that something he got after he came home from war through the GI mm-hmm. Bill? Yep. Wow. So he did that. He was also already going into college before he went to war. So he was in between all the big ones, mm. but he did serve in kind of the really bad parts of the Korean War and lost a lot of friends, which is unfortunately oh, not talked about that much. Yeah. Um, but he was also the dean of agriculture at Cornell. So, holy, what a rich yeah. life your yeah. grandfather lived! My goodness, so I mean, to make it to the rank of master chief is is no mean shake mm-hmm. to begin with. But wow, so that's really impressive. Uh, did he talk at all about his experience in the war? Yes, when I was taking a screenwriting class, I was writing a screenplay about his experiences, and it was the only time I've ever seen him tear up, Mm. and he was talking about finding one of his friends slumped over a machine gun, and he worked in submarines, so he was hard of hearing earlier, and all of his stories really influenced me, and I actually, I was trying to get into the Navy before I went to college. And I got all the way through mm-hmm. and went to the MEPS. I did my ASVABs, all of the things that you needed to do to get into the military. And then, now, of course, I, I know what those words mean. But for any listeners who don't know what MEPS or ASVABs <laughs> are, uh, could you just explain that briefly? So the MEPS were classes that you could go to at the recruiting stations. And mm-hmm. if you went to enough classes, you could start at an E3 instead of an E1. So you would already be advanced in the ranks. Mm. So I was doing a lot of those and ASVABs are the tests you take in high school to see where you are qualified. And the only thing I wasn't qualified in was encryption or something with math. Um, But what I really wanted to do, I wanted to be one of the first women on a submarine and I wanted to work in sonar, which they weren't letting women do. So I ended up, I picked up uh, radio men and search and rescue and mm-hmm. then they found out how many meds I was on for anxiety. And they told me I couldn't do anything fun. So I went to college for theater. <laughs> well, I'll show you. Yeah. I'm going to write a play about this experience. Yeah, exactly. I was going to win a Tony. <laughs> and it's going to be about how sad I am. The military, not so keen on having sailors who uh, need help avoiding panic attacks. They, they yeah. kind of want people who are a little more emotionally even keeled. Especially in a summer. Right. The uh, submarine is a uh, rather intense environment. You can't leave. <laughs> no, not, not even to go to the bathroom. You literally. And there's no women's bathrooms. Well, there is now, but there oh, was Oh, hey, look at that. So when did the first woman serve on a submarine? I think Do it was know offhand? early 2000s. Okay. If I'm recalling correctly, I could definitely be wrong. But I was like, mm, you go, girl. Did your did your was your grandfather encouraging you to pursue that career in the navy, or was this something you were going to surprise him with once you got in? A little bit of both, I guess. Like he knew I was interested. Okay. Um, two of my uncles were in the navy as well, 
So I was like, oh, I should do this. But then Mm. my younger cousin went to Citadel so and graduated literally the top of his class. So he carried on the legacy. He's flying. uh, I know all of them. Started reading when he was like three. Get out of here. Go play with toys. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, Crystal, thank you so much for playing with us this minute of the Best Minutes podcast. And listener, thank you for joining us once again as we look at this classic film. Uh, If you want to continue the conversation, maybe hear a little bit more from Crystal Beth about uh, that screenplay (laughs) that she was working on. Uh, I want you to join us down at Butch's Place at the Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Cafe on Facebook. Or you can find the show on Twitter at The Best Minutes. Uh, Crystal, thank you so much for being uh, our guest today. Where can folks yeah, oh, find you? you're very you? welcome. It was a pleasure. It's not often I have time to do these. So um, you can find me on social media at the Crystal Beth on Instagram and Twitter. And you can hear me on the Rebels Rebels podcast, which is a kind of offshoot of the Movies by Minutes podcast. And we do a um, Star Wars Dungeons and Dragons podcast. It's really awesome. Okay, I'm just I'm writing down Star Wars Dungeons and Dragons podcast because that is relevant to a couple yeah. of my. Oh my interests. gosh, we have so much fun. Okay. Oh, and it's in a homebrew, so our DM is building the whole story. Oh. Well, listeners, give that a listen uh, while you're waiting for the next episode to come out. And uh, once you've uh, dabbled a bit in that galaxy far, far away, come on back to join us in Peggy's Kitchen tomorrow on the Best Minutes podcast. Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.